think for me the thing that surprised me the most was how our kids got passionate about traveling. I really didn't expect that to happen. Hey podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. It's a sunny one. It's actually Thursday. Actually staring out the window at some beautiful South Philippines cloud formations. I'm going to post a few Philippines cloud formations at this blog post, tropicalmba.com slash family. In this very location last year, I met today's guests, Paul and Becky Cortman, fearless leaders of the six-person strong Cortman family. Last year, they sold their house and 90% of their belongings They took 25 flights and visited over 30 different locations. Some of them we're going to discuss on today's show. We're going to talk about how location independence affects family, how it affects relationships, and also how it affects business. Because there is a trade-off in many businesses when you take it on the road, as I know a lot of you know. Let me quote Paul from his blog. I mean, there's a little bit of drama in this story. An incredible turn of events. After Paul and Becky take their family on the road, shortly thereafter, and I quote, my service and consulting business took a 90% hit in revenue this summer. I'd call that aspect alone a failure, but is the business a failure? Am I a failure? I don't think so at all. Paul goes on to write, I've run a great business which has employed various people over the last four years, and I've helped others experiment and live the dreams they never thought they could. Well, I'm really excited to bring you guys Paul and Becky. We're going to dig into their story, how they rebounded from losing 90% of their revenue, and what the experience was like traveling with a six-person family around the world. If you have any questions for us, we'll be in the comments this week, tropicalmba.com slash family. I start this interview by asking Paul just to sort of set the foundation for us and describe what the business does. So I own Connect Social. It's a digital marketing agency. We have a distributed workforce of contractors. Um, A lot of them are in the D.C. We do some consulting and we do a lot of services around digital marketing. So email marketing, conversion optimization, data analysis, search engine optimization, PPC, all that for medium to large companies. A lot of times a mom and pop shop or, you know, the coffee shop down the street will say, hey, what can you do for me? Can you help me get more customers? And it's like, no, you don't have the budget to afford what we're doing. So we end up working with companies like University of Notre Dame, Perigo, and some other larger companies that we end up helping them market their products. So I take the internet marketing side of life. I don't like using that term. I call it digital marketing. It's more professional to my clients. And I take that knowledge and I bring it and shill it out to clients. Can you give me an example of one of the productized packages that you would sell to a client? Like how much does it cost and what do you deliver for that? I've gotten the curse of not being able to productize it. I have put it in packages, but it's based on how fast they want to step on the accelerators. The sizes of our projects are not custom, but what we do for that specific project is custom. So we'll just lay it out there. There's four pricing levels, $1,500 a month, three grand a month, five grand a month, and 10 grand a month. 
And we generally have engagements ranging from six months to four years. These are pretty long engagements, and most all of them involve data analysis. We give weekly and monthly reports, custom reports for their KPIs and, and what we're working on. And then we also do search engine optimization audits, like trying to make sure that their sites are up to snuff, help them do a 301 redirect project as they move from an old domain to a new domain or something like that. And then a lot of it is obviously generating content for search, for social media, for email marketing or whatever. We're, we're always generating content and trying to manipulate it right. Our clients think they can write and they can. They actually are intelligent enough to write. They just never have the time. So what we end up doing is, is producing content for them, hand it to them, they edit it, approve it, and then it goes and gets published. So that's kind of the workflow that we have. How many pieces of content do we generate in a month? How much technical SEO do we do? How much link building do we do? That's all determined on how fast they want to step on the accelerator. We started this show, or I, I framed up the show with the drama. So you wrote on your blog that, you know, pretty much like one of the worst case scenario things happened to you guys when you hit the road. I wanted to start at this moment when you guys were on the road and 90% of your revenue ended up disappearing. You know what? Let's, before we get into all this, tell me about the trip. Let, let's back up a second. <laughs> tell me why you were motivated to do this and what led up to it and what it was. Well, first of all, it was six months that we spent, it was about 25 flights in about 30 different places that we stayed. It was over a six-month period of time, as I said. Paul can talk a little bit about the motivation. We essentially were location independent, but still owned a house. Laying on the floor dreaming and laying on the couch and dreaming and just kind of saying, what do we want to do with our lives? We had a hobby farm, we had chickens, and we were aiming to get bees and cows and horses. I mean, just like you name it, we were farmers. And we kind of woke up one day and said, you know, that gig's not working out for us. And we want to do something different. And I had been tainted or drank the Kool-Aid of the Tropical MBA or back then the LBP. Just had a huge thirst for getting back out on the road. We have to stop here a minute and say that Becky and I are world travelers before we had kids. We spent a year overseas right after getting married in South Africa and Kazakhstan. And we both traveled extensively prior to getting married as well, individually. Travel was in our blood. We love it. We're very passionate about it. But since having kids, the priorities changed, I guess. We, we just never thought about it. The opportunities never arose. And you start setting up roots. And I don't know. I think that we were living in the world that most people live in that says that once you have kids, you're supposed to settle down. There isn't an option to continue to live a lifestyle like that. And I think that the beginning of what we are seeing and what we're learning is the breaking out of that mold and saying, wait, hold on, you have options. To put it in the TMBA parlance, that script of having a wife and kids and establishing roots and settling down that script is what we've been taught and bought. Mm -hmm. And that's no longer truth anymore. You know, I kind of stand on that bandwagon. You did this amazing six-month trip, but you must have started making calculations way before, right? So you had a business that was already healthy at this time. So when you saw an opportunity to live a different script, how did you guys start to adjust to prepare yourself for a new lifestyle? The biggest thing was the house. We'll frame it this way. We didn't sell our house. We sold the debt. On our house. If most Americans would realize that's what their house is, is its debt, 
It's not a good investment tool, in my opinion. Anyways, we sold the debt to get out from under it and to truly become location independent. And that was the big weight, or the big block to be able to do what we wanted to do. We were passionate about homeschooling before we even had kids, so we were already doing that. I happened to be, you know, working my own business and it happened to be location independent because I had clients and I didn't meet with them because I never really wanted to go drive down to their office or fly over to their office or whatever. So everything was already set up location independent before I knew what it was. It just became a matter of, okay, we need to sell our house and all of our belongings and figure out where we're going to go and what we're going to do and why are we doing all this. It really just was one day when Paul said, you know, we've been just sitting around and, you know, the lazy Sunday afternoon and saying, you know, where would we travel if we could travel? And he said, what if we actually said, we're going to leave? Now let's make a plan about leaving. We're actually going to go do this. And I sort of just looked at him and said, okay, let's do it. And it was sort of at that point that we were like, okay, this is like, we're just going to keep moving forward until it's a point of no return. You didn't just say, okay. You said, are you serious? Because don't get my hopes up like this. Don't get my hopes up if you're not really serious about doing that. And when I was like, yeah, I'm serious, and I was totally bluffing, I was just like, yeah, we'll see how this goes. I don't know. Let's dream. Let's have some fun. Because you expected me to be like, no way. Yeah, I really thought she would say no. I wanted to travel, and I had caught the bug again. And she said yes, like she did many years ago to me when I proposed. So we picked some places that were cheaper to live and we decided to give it a try. And we did a lot more moving than we had initially intended on. And that was because with a family, there's more than just an individual that you're dealing with. And so we made decisions that were the best for all of our crew. If one person of our six is suffering because of where we are or because of what we're doing, then we have to do something different. That's part of the freedom is you don't lock yourself into, well, I need to be in Southeast Asia and that's just where it's happening. So I have to be there. You know, things change because family is a priority, but that doesn't mean that you can't not travel. It means how do we find the right location that meets all of our needs in an appropriate way. And I firmly believe that the United States does not meet our needs in the appropriate way. Okay, so I have to ask then, why? (laughs) Honestly, I'm more afraid for my kids' safety here in the U.S. than I was in the entire six months that we were overseas. I feel like the laws that are changing in the United States are taking away a parent's ability to have responsibility for their own children. There are laws being put into place every single day that say that a doctor has more power over what happens to a child than their parents do. Kids are literally being removed from their parents' custody and placed into the custody of a hospital or in the custody of social services because of what somebody says, whether it may or may not be true. Parents don't have very many rights anymore when it comes to their kids, and that's really, really important to us. So that's one of the big reasons why the U.S. isn't super exciting for us. The other reason is third culture kids. I don't know if you know what this is, TCK, but part of our time when we were in Kazakhstan is we were teaching kids at an international school, and we got to know them really well. It's been 11, 12 years now, I think. And we recently went and saw them at a wedding where a couple of them were getting married, and we saw the well-roundedness of them even back when they were in seventh grade, and we were teaching them. It was just like these kids were way advanced. I just happened to be teaching in a high school here yesterday. I taught a course on SEO, and it was like pulling teeth. These kids had no desire to pay attention to me whatsoever because they're in the American script. These third culture kids experience travel 
experience different cultures, experience stress, experience problems, and they don't experience the traditional American script. And we feel that that adds way more value as we raise our kids than playing AYSO soccer on a local football field. That's a cool answer. That's very interesting. I hesitate to be one of those annoying interviewers that has to weigh in after every, but <laughs> let me just say this, especially on the second point, was a big shift in my mindset after having met probably hundreds of these third culture kids. Like, I'm jealous of them in retrospect. You know? <laughs> totally. So, totally. I, you know, because I had kind of a protected upbringing in terms of like what I was exposed to. I don't think that that works out as well. as I loved your point about stress. Like, hey, like, this is a real world. Like, you're a part of it. You're not a part of a small town, ticker tape parade, 300 yeah. kids in a high school kind of thing. A few months into your time on the road, disaster struck. Probably one of the things you worried about the most at the beginning is that your business started to dry up. And I'm curious if you could hire your future self as a consultant to advise past self could you have done this trip such that you could have extended your time on the road for another year? What adjustments to your business would you have had to have made to allow it to sustain? Is there anything that you feel like you could do in retrospect that you could have grown your business while you guys were on the big trip around the world? Yes, maybe. I feel that so much of what we do is a test. I don't have all the answers. I have a lot of hypotheses or theories that I go around and test out and say, well, you know, like conversion optimization. Well, if I try this color, will that increase my conversion rates? Similar train of thinking, how do I improve my either client retention or how do I acquire new clients while on the road? And just to explain a little bit, yeah, I lost 90% of the revenue in the course of three months. It was actually more like two months. It was from three major clients who had been with me multiple years each. They, you know, through different circumstances, a staff changeover at one, you know, they insourced at the other and the other, the project just completed. Through that little turn of events, the revenue dried up. That's bound to happen in the industry and what I do in client work. But the problem was not having the pipeline full. The moment I left, my pipeline dried up because my pipeline was completely revolved around an in-person referral network and who knew me and who saw me and where I was. And so I was concerned about it. I don't think I adequately knew how bad it would be. Two months into the trip, the pipeline was completely dry. There was nothing coming in. I was usually writing a proposal every two weeks and then I'd close on maybe 50% of my proposals. I had no proposals for two months. And I knew this and the writing was on the wall that if I lose a client, we're skewered. And then we started losing clients and things went down really fast. The theory that I have to fix that the next go round is to set a time frame, and we're currently thinking three months. So every three months that I would come back for two weeks to reinvigorate my network, to be there and to have people think I'm still around. I'm showing up to events. I'm showing up to networking things. I'm teaching. I'm holding meetings. I'm meeting with prospective clients and other you know key people in my re referral network and trying to keep all those relationships going in person. So my you know, week or two weeks back would be just book full of networking and meetings. I'd be really sick of coffee. I don't drink it. I drink tea, but I'd still be sick of it anyways. That's the theory is to try that to keep the referral network. What we found essentially was out of sight, out of mind. And they thought that, well, Paul left the country. I don't know. He's doing something else now, selling drugs. Who knows what? And so, you know, they referred off to my competitor. 
And the kicker is my competitor locally is a good friend of mine. And we had coffee after I got back and he's like, dude, you leaving the country was the best thing for my business. I've actually hired people since you left. And he had no desire to hire. Yeah, it was harsh. But it's one of those things of like, most of my clients aren't where I'm from. They're, you know, scattered across the US and the world. But the people who refer me to them, who say, I know a guy, you need to talk to Paul. Those key players are all within 50 miles of where I live. So those are the ones that I nurture because it's who they refer me to that brings in decent amount of work. Anyways, that's one thing that I would do is come back for two weeks every quarter, test that out, see if it works. If it does work and I have a pipeline, when I go to book the next ticket back to the Michigan, I would book it to Austin or Chicago or somewhere else that I could establish a new network and start, you know, spending two weeks just kind of, I don't know, like almost like a startup weekend, if you will, but spend two weeks just networking as best I can, like a fool trying to get a network built in a new environment to bring in that pipeline. You know, it's a good way to try and grow a business if you're just solely based on referrals. I don't have a vision for growing that business outside of referrals. You know, the other thing that we're tying out is starting up other businesses that are, you know, productized services, things you can advertise, things people will buy online that you don't have to meet in person. And even products or, you know, eBooks or info products or whatever. I'm trying to find what is that thing that I can do that isn't services. And I know you just had Dan Norris on pimping out, you know, doing services. And it's just not something that I'm really excited about. Dan has scaled it like no one I've ever seen, but I just don't have that desire. So I want to do something different. Let's circle back to when you guys were, you know, laying on your floor, dreaming about this trip. You must have had a bunch of ideas about what it would be for you. Maybe some fears that you had. What surprised you the most, I guess, when you guys finally got out there? Were there things that were like, whoa, I was totally wrong about the way this was going to work out? Do you guys remember some things that stick out for you? I think for me, the thing that surprised me the most was how our kids got passionate about traveling. I really didn't expect that to happen for all three of them. I can't count all four. The littlest one is not old enough to chime in. So I sat down and did a one-on-one with each of the kids at the end of the trip just to see how they felt about the trip and about going back to the United States and seeing family again. And I really thought that at least one, maybe two of them would say they wanted to go back and stay there and they didn't want to keep doing this traveling thing and they wanted to stay by grandma and grandpa. But in fact, all three of them basically made us promise that if we went back to the United States, we wouldn't stay there, that we would go traveling again. And that was really surprising. I had no idea that they would become passionate about traveling and want to continue on. And our our four-year-old actually still thinks that our stop in the United States right now is just the next stop on our trip. He has asked me a number of times, so how much longer are we going to be in this house? (laughs) So he's not even aware that we're like settled for a little while. I think something you mentioned before was that the kids, just people took the kids in. We were slightly concerned about safety for the kids, Mm -hmm. but the really surprising thing for me was that the kids were so disarming to other people that people would just melt when they saw the kids. In Southeast Asia specifically, they would oodle over their blonde hair and our daughter's longish blonde hair and she they would just like pet her and you know four year old's big blue eyes. Well, we melt into his eyes, but the Filipinos especially were just like all over him. It was really fun to see how showing up with kids 
there is much more engaging. We had ties actually waving to us, waving and smiling, which from the little I know about Thailand and ties, they actually engaged with our kids because our kids just bubble over joy. And while riding a scooter down the road, they see a gardener and they'd wave every day for a week. And finally, at the end of the week, the gardener would look and smile and wave back. These kids in their pure essence of joy and life would just disarm people just by walking into a room. That was really surprising. I hadn't thought through how others would be impacted by us bringing kids. I think that I'd heard so many horror stories about kids flying on airplanes and that kind of thing that I sort of expected most of our flights to be really crazy and negative. But in fact, they made best friends with just about everybody sitting near us on every single flight we took. That was something that was also surprising to me that I didn't expect almost every flight we got off from to have somebody saying, your children were just delightful. Did it affect your relationship in ways that you didn't expect? Like, did you guys fight a lot or was it exciting to do all this planning together? Was it stress you guys out having to move? You guys had an operation. (laughs) I get stressed out when I have to check luggage. We did. Actually, we love the planning. We love it. And so the planning is almost like a hobby in and of itself for us. We enjoy the research and the figuring out and the contacting people that know stuff. And so that's really, really fun for us. We really enjoy that. Something we like to do together. Our marriage was rocky, even upon our leaving on this trip. I would say that it got better initially because of just the things you needed to be able to trust each other for with traveling and that sort of thing. But then I think as the business went downhill, so did our relationship. And that was really, really difficult to be moving and in different cultures and where everything about life is a question including your marriage. That was really tough. And coming home, that was one of our main things was to work on the business and to work on our marriage. And we feel as though God has very much blessed that. We're in a really, really good place now. And we're excited for the future and for heading out on the next trip, starting off in a really great place. I've got to be real and say, I came home depressed. I lost, quote unquote, everything. My business evaporated, essentially. And I thought it was all my fault. And I was taking that out on my relationship with my wife. It wasn't good. Fortunately, we've been able, like Becky said, we've been able to repair both of those situations and get back to a good place. The fact that travel with family brings on stress is something we predicted and we knew and we had prepared ourselves mentally for. I guess the vision that I have is traveling with kids is trading the stress you have here for a different stress. Mm -hmm. And to us, there were known elements about traveling as a couple. We knew certain elements about stress. I mean, we were married a couple of months and then suddenly we're without any support network and living in South Africa. And even the friends we knew were two hours away. We had some really interesting days back then. And that was really stressful in our marriage. But I think having come through that and worked through that back then, it made it easier this time around that we knew a little bit of what the stress was going to be. We didn't know throwing kids in with it, how what that was going to cause. And it caused other kinds of stress. But I think having the business collapse was a stress that we didn't predict. Mm-hmm. And it caused more problems than traveling. One of the stresses that I think would be at the front of mind for people wanting to take a trip like this would be health. And you guys have written a lot about this on your blog. I know that you've considered getting LASIK surgery in Bangkok. I'm curious about how you insured yourself, some of the health scares that you had and how you dealt with them. Give me the health rundown. (laughs) How worried about health were you when you started your trip? I don't think we 
were worried. Do you want to talk a little bit about being insured? We were doubly insured. We do everything non-traditional. Do I really need to explain that? Hello, we sold our house and left the country. But you got we, your non-traditional stripes. Oh, they go deep. I mean, we homeschool, so that sets us off right there. We were farmers, so. But anyways, our insurance in the states and even today is like a healthcare sharing plan. Essentially, it's a bunch of people that get together and pay each other's bills. So this month, my premium in air quotes goes to somebody else to pay their medical bill for their hospitalization they had last month for cancer. That's the system that we've been a part of since our kids were born. So, I mean, for 10 years now, we've been a part of that system. And they cover missionaries, they cover traveling families, they cover families overseas. So we're just like, yeah, we'll take that. But we also went out and bought Travelers Insurance, World Nomads, to add on top of that because of the medevac and the emergency evac, that while our non-traditional insurance provider would have covered it for medical purposes, if the doctor said, yeah, you need to get out of here, they would have covered the bills, but it it's not like we can pick up the phone and they'll send an airplane and things will be taken care of. Whereas we bought World Nomads for the assurance that things would be taken care of no matter what. If one wouldn't cover, the other would. And we actually made three claims on World Nomads, so we essentially got our money back there, and we made no claims over for our sharing insurance. Would you guys mind describing like one of the medical procedures that someone in your family underwent and what your experience was like You know, going to a hospital abroad? Sure. The one hospital visit that we had was with our six-year-old son. He had a medical condition before we left home that we knew about. It's um, called a hydrocele. A hydrocele is a tiny hole between the abdominal cavity and the scrotum, and so the scrotum fills up with fluid. It's like a hernia into your scrotum. So initially, we thought it was a really big testicle, and then the doctor was like, nope, and that's he a hernia. And us where the testicle was inside and said, you know, it could continue to get larger, or it could never ever get larger if no more fluid goes in there. It's up to you whether or not you want to do something about it. Our son is totally afraid of hospitals and medical procedures, so we were just going to ignore it unless something more happened. And while we were living in Chiang Mai, Thailand, his hydrocele started to get larger and he was starting to talk about it being uncomfortable. And so we said, okay, if it's going to continue changing and it's now causing him discomfort, we need to get something done. And we didn't expect that this would just slowly go away or stay the same then, so we said, let's take care of it now. We did some research online for hospitals. We chose the one in the area that we wanted to use, which was Ram Hospital. Mostly we chose that because of the cost of the procedure there, the availability of the doctors, the reviews of the doctors, and that they had translators available. And so we went ahead with it there, and it went really quickly, really fast. We met with the doctor, and two days later, we went for the surgery, and he was in the hospital three days, and then he had a one-week post-op checkup. And it went incredibly smoothly. The procedure itself and his care were absolutely phenomenal. I'm so pleased with his wounds and how well that they healed the incisions and it was just really really great. The care he received there was excellent from the staff. I have nothing negative to say about that except for the fact that the translators were not always available and we did not know that ahead of time. They kind of worked an eight to five. Yeah so if we had an evening or a nighttime problem there was no one there to explain what was going on or why they were giving him a different medication or anything like that which was not okay because I, as his mom, staying the night with him there, wanted to know why are they doing this before I say it's okay for them to do it. That was the only issue, really, was the the translators not being as available. But the nurses and doctors were excellent, and the hospital was really good, and everything went really well. 
we got around in Thailand with the point and charades game every time you're ordering off a menu or something, you know, is this pig, is this chicken, you know, whatever. But when it comes to hospital and they have a bag that they're going to inject into your son, charades didn't cut it. No. So there were a lot of times when they would either have to go and find someone else in a different department somewhere that spoke English and bring them back to be able to explain something to me. Or we just really did charades until finally I understood why something needed to be a certain way. I think it was just that I had to play mama bear and don't allow something to happen unless I fully understood why it was happening. And it would have been nice to not have to do that, but at the same time I feel like it's where we were at the time, and here we are in Thailand and this needed to happen, and you know, all in all, it was okay. Speaking of mama bear, Becky, I'm curious about homeschooling. I'm assuming that if you're going to do medium to long-term digital nomadizing with families of school age, homeschooling is probably one of the few options. I'm curious if there's other options. And also, for someone who hasn't been into it as long as you, what kind of commitment is that? What is required of someone who's going to homeschool their children? How old are your kids is going to make a really big difference because if your kids are younger, it's going to be a lot easier. And it's also where are you coming from, your home country, and how specific to grade level do you want to keep your kids? If you're okay with letting them slide a half a grade and catching up later, or if you really want them to stay on par with everyone else their age, these things all play into that. There are other options. There are international schools that you can enroll your kids in for a semester or longer depending on where you're going to be you can use the local school system Mm -hmm. which everybody always said don't do that but we've talked to many people who have used local school systems in various countries and then there's also online schooling where essentially you enroll your kid into a, a curriculum back in the states or in australia or even in the uk i know that they do it as well and they're able to spend computer time, realize you really need a laptop for that child, then if you want to use your laptop at all, but then they're doing that all day. Going to hours, I want to chime in here real quick, just because I taught a high school class the other day. Do you remember high school and how little productive time you spent in the day? It's like a prison. it, It totally is. And it hasn't changed. My goodness, these kids were, they weren't drugged, but they looked it, you know, and they were just like, dude, I don't need to be here. This is a waste of my time. And I'm like, it is. It totally is. Becky, who's our teacher here, can get done in two hours, maybe three in a day. She can get done a full day's worth of productive work because it's one on four, really one on three, because the youngest isn't in school yet. And she's able to dedicate to those three like a tutor. And so within two to three hours they're done and off, you know, doing chores or playing and school's done. Frame that. It's not an eight hour day from eight in the morning to three in the afternoon or whatever. It's a get done what needs to get done so that the kid is progressing in their educational abilities. Understood too that I'm only dealing with kindergarten, first and second grade. If you have a kid who's in seventh grade or 10th grade, you're going to have a lot more work for them to be doing every day. All right, so you guys are going to have to excuse me for some really cliched questions, but as a location-independent, full-time traveler, I just can't help myself. You saw so many places last year. I want to know what were some of your favorites and what were some of your kids' favorites. Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> Elephant Nature Park in northern Thailand. If you're in Chiang Mai, you have to go to Elephant Nature Park, and you should never ride elephants. 
we can talk in the comments on this podcast show about why not and and all this, but we're big animal advocates. An elephant that is ridden is treated very poorly, but Elephant Nature Park is a reserve for these elephants and they're totally funded on tourism. So we went and spent the day there and got to give an elephant a bath and feed elephants and walk around with them. The kids still talk about Donnie, the elephant that they were with all day. The one that they bathed in the river and they just love that we have a little elephant's mahout carved a statue of the elephant that we bathed and it was in the gift shop so we got to take that little elephant statue of the one that we took care of and purchase that and then that money went toward the elephant's mahout which was really cool too so that was one another one obviously is animal related again and that's turtle island off the coast of malaysian borneo near sandakan that was incredible yeah if you get a chance do that you take a boat there in the afternoon you spend the night because around midnight the sea turtles come up and they lay eggs and so you're actually able to go out there and see a real live sea turtle laying eggs in its natural habitat and then they hatch eggs there and you're able to release baby sea turtles so that's pretty sweet and then the next day you go snorkeling while you're waiting for the boat and there's really incredible snorkeling there especially for borneo because malaysia doesn't take care of the ocean well what stuck out for your kids in your europe swing If we were to pick one country that we would go back to, it would be South Africa, hands down. From the whole trip. Yeah, and the kids would totally agree with that. As for Europe, what did the kids like there? Well, first of all, we were in Sofia, Bulgaria, and we didn't like it at all. The kids didn't either, but we were sick for the entire week that we were there. All six were sick the whole week. So that kind of put a downer on it. We didn't really get out of the apartment and see anything. I can't let you get past the South Africa thing. You know, for those of us who haven't been there, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. We were once told by friends that if you've been to Africa, it gets in your blood. 50% of people who go to Africa, it gets in their blood and they just need to go back. And the other half, it doesn't affect at all. It got in our blood. South Africa has a lot of racial problems and they have a lot of economic problems, but there's just this vibrancy. They call it the rainbow of their population. And there's just a vibrancy of that. Safety is a big concern and cost internet is atrocious. I ended up paying a grand a month for our data. Watch out. It's not a digital nomad haven by any stretch of the imagination. However, the buffer guys work from Cape Town. They spend a couple of months a year working from Cape Town because it's so fantastic. Gorgeous views, hiking, surfing, shark cage diving, penguins, you name it. Awesome biking, awesome skateboarding, any sort of random things. Like we saw quite a few video shoots happening. And so it was was really weird. I think uh, my daughter's very favorite thing was we went once a week out into one of the nearby townships, which is where the blacks were displaced during apartheid. And we spent time once a week out helping at a little preschool. It's called a crash there. We would go to the crash and we would just play with the kids and help feed them lunch and stuff like that and, and sing songs with them and play games. And our kids really, really had fun with that. And we still miss doing that, even though we're not there anymore. That's one thing we just really miss. One of the things when I was following your blog is I was kind of shocked at the pace you guys were going at. I think I, it was like exhilarating. <laughs> you mentioned that you're going back on the road in June of this year. How will your travel plans change based on what you learned? We weren't intending on traveling that fast. 
We weren't intending on coming home in six months and having been to, you know, 30 different beds. We were planning on being in the Philippines for anywhere from three to six months, and we were there for a month. Things just accelerated really fast because of heat exhaustion, really, of issues with the climate. So moving forward, we're doing even more research on climate. Just because, like, Medellin, Colombia was kind of on the list, and we were like, Oh, that's a really great, you know, it's a digital nomad hotspot. The climate looks good, blah, blah, blah. And we started digging and digging and found out the climate's just like, you know, in other places in Southeast Asia, and it's not going to jive with our family. It's just too hot there. And there was like nothing for activities for kids to do. What we're doing this time is we're better equipped to know what to look for. And we're planning only two countries, only two stops, and we hope to be anywhere from three to six months in each one of those places. So much more slow travel. I'm curious about your blog because, you know, I just love these types of blogs in particular. It was just exciting when there would be a new RSS ping come up. You know, what are you guys up to? What was your creative process in writing that together? You know, I'm assuming you invested a lot of time in it. Did you feel like it was worth it in the end? Did you feel like, you know, you got the response you were seeking? Well, first of all, let's explain this. So you're talking about Home Along the Way, which was essentially our journal to tell family what we're doing. And so it wasn't a travel blog of trying to earn money, trying to tell everybody, hey, come to Bali, you can live here and, you know, and smoke and do all kinds of fun stuff, you know, whatever. No, it was just, this is the life of the Courtmans and what we're doing. And we don't want to tell everybody the same story over and again. So it was way more practical for us, just about efficiencies, not about trying to make money with it. Yeah, I think that we just wanted to have an honest platform of this is what's happening to us mixed with some this is how we feel about things and this is what we're experiencing. Just a place where we could be real if we felt a certain way about something, but also to throw out there's this is just what's happening. This is what we're doing, what's fun and exciting. And it was a challenge. You had asked what things we're going to plan differently. This is one for sure. If we're going to plan an activity like, say, Turtle Island, or in our case, the Galapagos, we are going to plan specific days afterwards where that's a blogging day and we don't do anything. So we're going to go to Turtle Island one day and the next day is carved out for blogging. And then the next day we're going to go to Sepulok Jungle and the next day is for blogging because we got so far behind. At best, we were probably doing once a week on average. I am the last person to complain about our life situation. But let's just be real. Running a business, traveling, having four kids and a wife. And homeschooling. And homeschooling. There's just, there's no spare time. There wasn't extra time to blog. And I wanted so badly to do more and to keep it up to date better. And it just didn't happen. No matter how many times I was like, okay, now I'm going to try. This week I'm going to really stick with it. It just never really happened. And I really desperately want to do that. I desire deeply to do better with that and to really keep it up to date and really make it a what's going on right now, not just a what we did two months ago kind of a thing. (laughs) But it's going to take some changes in our family schedule and how we do things and how things are going to run. And I think that we can make it happen. We've already made those changes just with a business that we're working on now that we're working on together and part of it you know relies heavily on content and so we've made those changes over the last well just since christmas over the last three or four weeks scheduling 
out your life, even your family and personal life, to enable the productivity time that you need as a mom or to develop blog content. That's just something we had to come to terms with and, and we've started doing and we'll be doing more of that on the next jaunt. Tell us about your 2015 plans, like the end of the episode. You know, you guys had a big year, you learned a lot, you're going to be working on a business together. So, so we're starting a new business through this past travel and through kind of some vision that we've had and, and connections in different communities, including the D.C., we've realized that there's not a place that enables or equips families to travel, to live a nomadic lifestyle or to live a, a location-independent lifestyle. How does that work? What are the challenges? When we started this, we kept finding things about travel as a vacation or travel as a solo location-independent person. We never found anything that was about, hey, here's families that are doing this. Here's how to do it. Here's things you want to keep in mind. Here's resources. You know, you asked about different options for homeschooling. We had to uncover those. You know, we knew about homeschooling, but we didn't know anything about online education. We very little about international schools. So there's all of these things that are possible. And what we did is we, we built a new company called Nomad Together. It's a membership site. I encourage anybody who is interested in having kids or interested in doing the location independent thing with a family, with a couple, a significant other. Our goal is to equip every person there to be able to live their dream or live their lifestyle. Sometime between June and November, we'll take off again. And the two countries we're looking at are Mexico and Ecuador. Mexico, being from the U.S., everybody's like, hey, you're going to Mexico. It's no big deal. But setting up camp for six months in Mexico is a big deal. And that's what we're looking to try and do. We want to see if we can get some of the Southern California climate, but some of the cheaper cost of living of Mexico. So we're going to do that. And then we're also going to Ecuador. What I like about Ecuador is you can go up into the mountains, you can get over into the Amazon River Basin, you can get down to the ocean, and you get very, very different perspectives all within the same country and all within, you know, driving range or whatever. So it's very easy just to drive a short distance somewhere and have a totally different climate than what there is 30 minutes away. We're excited to find a place where you can literally just drive around and find the area that has the right climate for you. <laughs> I suspect that Americans write off Mexico like Australians write off Bali. You know, they're amazing exactly. places, but it's yeah. like it's too familiar. So we don't we want to feel like we went somewhere. There's that element like if you come home for Christmas and you're like, I went to Mexico. People are like, meh. Yep, <laughs> exactly. But for all the right reasons, you know, we're looking to go I, there. I love like, Mexico. I think it's a great choice. I'll make a prediction. On, not only is Mexico a great travel location, but I really think this homeschooling thing has a lot of legs. This seems like an emerging marketplace, right? If it is the case that you need to seek out alternative educational opportunities for your kids, you, you guys are experts in that. You know, four case studies at, at minimum. Um, <laughs> I really think that there's, there's an opportunity there for sure. Something will come out. This is an emerging market. So I'm sure you guys will be willing to answer any questions in the comments. And I appreciate you being so open with your story and sharing it with the rest of us. It's been a fun year for us to follow along as well. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.